calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. You are listening to Episode 5 of Double Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 9, Diurnia Orbital, 2358, July 6th. The thing about Import OOD Watch is that you're nominally in charge of the ship. Unlike my previous watchstanding duties where I'd had specific tasks and assignments to accomplish, the OOD really was there only if something broke or required arbitration. At 12.30, we went to the wardroom, a small dining room off the mess deck where the officers could eat without mixing with the crew. The noon meal consisted largely of cold cuts and bread on a nice platter. I wasn't sure what the crew was eating, but I suspected not much different. The coffee was predictably horrendous. Mr. Burnside stood on no ceremony, helping himself from the trays, sitting at what was apparently his accustomed seat, on what would be the right hand of the captain. I took a seat well down the board. It's not like there were a lot of choices, but I didn't need to see the roster to know that I was the junior officer aboard, and I had no desire to attract the attention of an erstwhile alpha male. As I chewed my sandwich of mystery meat and cheese, I wondered idly how the captain related to the first mate. I suspected that there would be more ceremony when the ship was underway and the captain was presiding over the mess. The afternoon passed to evening without incident. I had plenty of time to review the relevant policies and procedures under the careful non-scrutiny of the first mate. Periodically, he'd ask a question about the ship's procedures or operations. Most of them were textbook stuff, although a couple had hidden teeth relating to local conditions in the Diurnia Quadrant. The ship's fittings and fixtures were common enough. I'd not worked with these precise models before, but the manufacturers were certainly familiar. At 18.30, Mr. Burnside stood, stretched, and headed for the door. Come on, Wang, he said. May as well introduce you to the sewing circle. When we arrived in the wardroom, I was introduced to the engineering and cargo officers, Amelia Menes and Frederica de Groot. Amelia Menes was an older woman, smartly turned out in a ship suit, the gray hair and crow's feet made her look distinguished. "'Welcome aboard, Ishmael,' she greeted me warmly with a two-handed handshake. Her eyes held a sparkling humor. Federica de Groot, on the other hand, was twitchy. She didn't look me in the eye once and only offered me the most perfunctory of handshakes. She was bird-like, even frail. She avoided Mr. Burnside as if he were carrying some plague. Mr. Burnside led the way up to the buffet.' He browsed through it like a goat on a junk pile, helping himself with his fingers, pausing to pick up the odd tasty and pop it into his mouth. 
It was a bit off-putting, but he didn't seem overly concerned about making an impression on any of us. Ms. Manus sighed softly and gave me a small shrug when Birdside's back was turned, as if to say, What can you do? I stood back to let the senior officers go ahead of me. Ms. Manus smiled and nodded her thanks, but Ms. DeGroote seemed not to notice until I extended a hand indicating that she should proceed. She almost flinched, but then offered a fleeting smile and a tentative nod, stepping up closely behind Ms. Manus at the steam table. By this time, Mr. Burnside had seated himself and proceeded to tuck into the piled platter. As he sat, a side door opened, and a delicate girl in a white waiter's uniform, complete with side-buttoned tunic and black trousers, stepped into the wardroom with a silver pot of coffee. She smiled at Mr. Burnside and placed the pot handy to his setting, and slipped quietly out of the room without speaking. She came and went so quickly and so quietly that if I hadn't been watching, I might not have noticed. Miss Manus waited while Ms. DeGroote and I finished at the buffet and took our seats before beginning her meal. I could see Mr. Burnside sneer at the small courtesy, and I wondered again just what I'd let myself in for. So, Mr. Wong, Miss Manus started, this is your first billet as third mate. Are you excited? She seemed honestly interested and smiled as she offered the opening volley at the dinner conversation. Yes, I am, Miss Manus. I spent two years in a container ship over in the Dunsany Road Squadron before I went to Port Newmar. It seemed a good thing to do at the time. "'You were a crewman?' Mr. Burnside asked with a low chuckle. "'Yes, I was,' I answered. Two years on the Lois McKendrick. "'It was, um, enlightening for a land rat,' I added. Miss Manus forestalled further comment from Mr. Burnside by saying, "'You don't come from a spacer family, and you went to the academy?' I smiled and shrugged. "'Yes, well, the captain rather twisted my arm until I filled out the application. After all she'd done for me, I would have felt ungrateful if I hadn't even tried.' Mr. Burnside barked a laugh. She, your captain, was a woman. Miss Manus frowned at Mr. Burnside's outburst. David, half the captains in space are women. Don't sound so surprised. She chided him gently. Not in this company they're not, he retorted. Miss Manus pursed her lips. Yes, well, that's true enough, she said, but failed to comment further on the subject. She turned to me once more to follow up. Alice, you're gone. She was in command of the Lois McKendrick the last I heard. I all but gaped. She smiled. Don't look so surprised. Alice and I were at the academy together. Many moons long past. We keep up. Was, I managed to ask. She left the Lois. She's still on the Lois as far as I know, Mr. Huang. I think she'll retire from there if Federated Freight can't force her to take the training command at the academy. I laughed softly at that. I think her father has to retire first, I suggested. No doubt, Miss Manus offered back. No doubt. Ms. DeGroote surprised me by speaking to me with a quick flicker of her eyes up from her plate in my direction. She asked, And Alice recommended you to the Academy, yes? Yes, she did, I said with surprise. Ms. DeGroote smiled into her plate and flickered her eyes in my direction once more. What number were you? she asked. Thirty-four, I answered. Eight, Ms. DeGroote offered with a shy smile. It was a kind of peace offering to me. Ms. Manus looked at her companion curiously, but didn't ask the obvious question, and the conversation died for a moment. Mr. Burnside had finished his meal and pushed the plate noisily toward the middle of the table. So, what was your rating, Ish? he asked. Did you make it to half share in your two years as crew? It was a curious question. He'd obviously not looked at my hiring jacket, or he'd have known. I think Ms. Manus must have realized that, too, because she froze, her fork just lifting from her plate, and stared at him. Full share, I replied softly with a glance at Mr. Burnside. When I left to go to the academy, I was full share. 
Mr. Burnside's expression went from bland disinterest to patronizing smile. Well, do tell, he said. You made it all the way up to full share in just two years. That's quite an accomplishment for a landrat. What division? Steward? His tone made it clear what he thought of stewards. All four, I answered. The confusion rolled across his expression, and Miss Manus smirked. All four what? he followed up. All four divisions. I focused on my plate. He wasn't going to like that answer, and I didn't want to appear confrontational by looking at him in the face. There was a moment of stunned silence before Mr. Burnside barked a harsh laugh and slapped the table. Ms. de Groot flinched at the sudden sound and movement, but Miss Manus merely looked annoyed. Excellent joke, Mr. Huang. All four divisions. Mr. Burnside chortled nastily. All four divisions, indeed. Miss Manus placed her fork gently on her plate and leaned forward to face Mr. Burnside. David, perhaps you should review Mr. Huang's jacket one more time. It seems there are some things you've missed, she said quietly in the face of his derision. Ms. de Groot offered a small furtive smile in my direction but focused on her meal. Mr. Burnside's expression went blank. Indeed, he asked, rounding on Ms. Manus. Pray, enlighten me, Amelia. You've obviously seen more in his jacket than I did. Our Mr. Wong here does in fact hold full share ratings in all four divisions, including Specialist Second and Environmental and Specialist First and Systems. His service record shows commendations from three captains, and his application to the Academy was endorsed by ten officers of the line. Mr. Burnside's expression went even flatter. This land rat? he asked finally, looking directly at me as if I were somehow to blame. This land rat, I replied, with a sheepish shrug, hoping against hope to defuse the situation. Mr. Burnside's eyes shuddered. His expression gave nothing away, but his words were calm and precise. Well, it seems I owe you an apology, Mr. Wong. Very nice credentials, and I look forward to working with you in the deep dark. Ms. de Groot went stock still at the last comment. She was pale before, but went positively bloodless at the mention of the deep dark. Her reaction attracted the attention of Miss Manus, who leaned over. Are you all right, Freddy? Mr. Groot looked like a bird caught indoors, her eyes flickering everywhere, but she didn't look up from her plate. Yes, Amelia, thank you, she said softly. It's nothing. Her eyes flickered fearfully in my direction, but she kept her head down and made no further comment. My tablet bipped at just that moment and startled me. It was a message from the brow watch. My ship suits were being delivered. Excuse me, I told the gathered officers. My uniforms are here, and I've got to sign for them and get them added to my mass allotment. I stood and gathered my dirty dishes, placing them on the sideboard for the mess crew to clear away. You can just leave those on the table, Mr. Wong, Mr. Birdside said coldly. The mess crew gets paid to pick this up. Aye, I acknowledged. Old habits die hard. With a nod to Miss Manus and Mr. Groot, I beat a hasty retreat to the gangway. I stepped off the ship to accept the delivery from the chandlery representative, and the smell of clean, fresh dock air was lovely. In a matter of a few ticks, the bundles were signed in and logged into my mass allotment, I lugged them to my stateroom and took the ticket needed to shake one out and put it on, hanging my khaki undress uniform in the locker. I felt a lot less out of place wearing a ship suit, even a brand new one with the third mate pip and the collar tabs. I brushed my hand across the DST decal on the breast and fingered the black embroidered letters of my name. The suit itself was a neutral tan, not too far from the khaki outfit I'd just taken off. My tablet dropped into its designated pocket and I felt a bit more settled as I headed back to the ship's office to finish up my first watch. I felt like I'd been aboard a stanier, and it hadn't even been a full day yet. When I got back to the office, I found Mr. Burnside reviewing my jacket. He looked up as I entered, and I expected to get blasted. He nodded at the screen. You really do all this stuff? He asked baldly. 
Yes, I'm afraid so, I replied. Wong, I owe you an apology. This is an outstanding jacket. I don't usually bother with them, corporate hires and fires. We don't have a lot of say about who comes and who goes. He sounded sincere, contrite. It didn't make what he was saying any less dangerous, but he did sound like he was sorry. It looks like we hit the jackpot when we got you, eh? I just shook my head. I'm just a boot third right out of school. I got lucky with the Lois, and I know perfectly well that I can't expect to stay alive in the deep dark by relying on luck. I'm looking forward to what I can learn here, and I'll do my best to cover my mass. It sounded trite and cheesy, even as I said it, but I needed to say something. Oh, I think once we get this tub moving toward Brakal, we'll have lessons aplenty, Ishmael. Lessons aplenty. I didn't like the way he said that, but I kept my face carefully neutral and sat back down with my tablet to review the last of the ship's policies and procedures as the watch ticked down to midnight. Chapter 10. Diurnia Orbital, 2357, July 7th. I woke with a start. My ship tea and boxers were sweat-soaked and bound up around me. I could hear the blowers moving the air, but my stateroom felt stuffy and damp. I flapped the sheets a little, trying to get a little extra air moving around, and laid back on the pillow for a moment to let the pounding in my chest subside. I hated that. The chrono on the bulkhead read 0912, so I only had a couple of stands before I'd have to report to watch. In my belly I could feel a fluttering grumble. The food aboard would take some getting used to, it seemed. I laid there, weighing the relative merits of putting on some clothes and heading out to one of the diners that catered to the dock trade, or toughing it out and waiting for the wardroom lunch. Remembering the coffee in the wardroom, I crawled out of my bunk, knocked on the door. Arletta should have been in the ship's office since she had the watch, but I wanted to get in the habit, and grabbed a quick shower before skinning into my undress uniform for a trip to find some breakfast. By 0940, I was in the office and stuck my head in. Ula Nart was sitting in one of the chairs, reading something on a tablet, and Arletta was working on one of the stations. They both looked up when I stopped at the door. Good morning, Mr. Huang, Arletta said with a smile. You survived your first day aboard. Good morning, Miss Novea, Miss Nart, I smiled back. Yes, it was an interesting first watch. Her mouth twitched in a near smirk, but with a glance at Ula, she managed to control it. I dare say, Mr. Huang. I'm going to grab a bite ashore if that's okay, I said. Get it now, because we'll probably be underway before you get another chance, she said in return. Any favorite places for breakfast, I asked. Over easy, she answered immediately. Looks like a pit. Coffee is wonderful, and he does bacon perfectly. Sounds ideal. Whereabouts is it, I asked. O2 deck, three doors to the starboard of the lift. Thanks, I said with a smile. I'll be back soon. It only took a tick to get to the lock, and Betts had the watch. It looked like he was wearing the same ship suit with a stained left sleeve as the previous day. Only a day. It seemed much, much longer. Good morning, Mr. Betts. How's the watch going? I asked by way of greeting. Fine, sir, he replied, without standing up from the stool. That was it. Just a flat statement. I let it sit there in the deck for a heartbeat or two before saying, I hated brow watch. Long, boring, and the only amusement value was watching drunk crew try to get back aboard in the middle of the night. He looked at me, a flicker of curiosity behind his eyes. He didn't follow up, though, and I left it. I'm going to go grab a bite to eat. I've checked out with the OOD. If you'd be so good as to log me ashore, Mr. Betts, I'll be back in about a stand. The able spacer reached for the keypad and made an entry in the log. Aye, sir. Mr. Wong is ashore for approximately one stand. Thank you, Mr. Betts, I told him with a nod and a smile, and I crossed to the lock and slipped out onto the docks. The bite of the dock air was like ambrosia. 
I found myself trying to breathe deeply, pressing the exhalations as if trying to empty my lungs of the residual smell of the ship. The mechanical and electronic smells that permeated every dock I'd ever visited seemed somehow sweet and familiar, and I drank deep. The O2 deck was always redolent with the smells of brew, booze, wine, and food. Spacers in their throngs were almost always here, although mid-morning wasn't a peak time. In spite of that, the nature of the spacer's life meant somebody was always on liberty, somebody was always looking for something, and almost always that search led to the O2 deck. I turned to starboard and counted off three doors to find a hole in the bulkhead place with a smeared plexidor lettered with over-easy and a stylized picture of a cartoon woman holding a plate with a pair of fried eggs in a strategic position over her chest. Arletta was right. It looked like a pit. I pressed through the door and inhaled the aroma of fresh coffee, layered with the scent of frying potatoes and onions, and bacon. My mouth exploded in saliva as I stood there, blocking the door and bathing in the scent. The place wasn't full, but it was far from empty. There was one long counter with tall stools across the back. A kitchen was behind that with a pass-through window. I could see somebody moving back there and a couple of waitstaff covering the busy counter and another pair circling around the herd of square tables between the counter and the door. It was a small place. It felt like a closet, but nobody seemed to mind. A guy in civvies carrying a rack with six cups of coffee and it elbowed me out of the way with a venomous look as he left, and I stepped sheepishly out of the traffic pattern and found myself a seat at the counter. A young man wearing a spotless white T-shirt, white apron, and denim pants came over immediately. He slapped a coffee cup and a pack of napkin-wrapped silver onto the counter in front of me. You know what you want? he asked with a slight uptilt of his chin. His name tag read, Seth. Coffee, eggs, bacon, toast, home fries, I said. With each word, Seth nodded. He reached under the counter and pulled out the pot, pouring before I even finished ordering. How? How many? What kind? he asked when I finished. Over easy? Three? Wheat, I answered. He grinned at me then. You never been here before? He asked as he actually scribbled something on a slip of paper and ripped it from the tablet. First time, I said, new to the quadrant. Welcome. He turned and slipped the paper into a spinning contraption of clips and metal, shouting, order Frank, before moving down the counter to fill cups. I picked up the crisply clean, heavy china mug and looked into it. Coffee. Real, rich, dark coffee. No swirl of oil on the surface, no stains in the mug. I stuck my nose into the mouth of it and took a deep breath. I put the cup down, added a dollop of milk from the handy pitcher on the counter, and threw a couple of sugars into it. A swirl with a spoon, and the coffee was heavenly. Dark. Rich. It was one of the Arabastis. Not a Jartmo, but it had the signature aftertaste of a perfectly brewed Arabasti. Perhaps it was one of the local variants, Jartmo beans grown in a local setting. As I sat there savoring the coffee, every few ticks, plates would clatter onto the pass-through, and a man's voice would shout a name, and the phrase, Order up! In surprisingly short time, the call, Seth, order up! came, and my breakfast slipped onto the counter in front of me as Seth called, Thanks, Frank! The eggs steamed. The bacon glistened. The aroma of potato fried with onion and bacon drippings wafted up and grabbed me. The toast was perfect, crisp, buttered, with just the right texture for sopping up the loose egg yolk from the plate. From first fork to last swallow, I never looked up. It was delicious. 
With a slightly regretful sigh, I realized that I'd inhaled my breakfast, leaving only the china and silver and the odd crumb from the toast. Sitting up, I noticed Seth grinning and watching out of the corner of his eye as he took care of the people on either side of me. He worked his way down the counter with the coffee pot once more and efficiently pulled the dirty dishes off the counter and into a tray. "'You want anything else? Another one, just like the other one, baby?' he asked. I chuckled. "'Yes, but I need to get back to work. That was great. I'm glad you liked it.' Suddenly remembering the man with a carrier full of coffee, I asked, "'Can I get some coffees to go?' "'Sure. How many? How big?' "'Large. Two. No, three. Cream and sugar on the side,' I answered. "'Coming right up,' he said, and in just about two ticks he filled three cups, locked lids on them, and put them in a carrier. A fourth cup got a handful of creamers and sugar packets. He slid it onto the counter along with the tab, to which I added a generous tip and my thumbprint. I scooped the carrier up, nodded my thanks, and headed back to the ship. It really is amazing what a good breakfast can do for your outlook. At the lock, I took a few deep breaths of the cold dock air and keyed the entry sequence. Stepping aboard, Betts glanced up at me and frowned at the coffee carrier. I slipped one of the cups out and stood it on the station. Cream? Sugar? I asked him. Black, he said. I grinned in reply and headed into the ship. Even the smell of the ship didn't dampen my enthusiasm. From behind me, I heard a belated, Thanks, sir. At the office, I found Arletta alone again when I breezed through the door. Her eyes targeted the coffee carrier as I stepped through it. I held out the carrier as if it were a silver salver, and she looked up at my face like it was some kind of joke. You brought coffee back, she asked incredulously. Well, they were just sitting there looking forlorn, and they followed me back to the lock. I thought we might give them a good home, I answered. I put the tray down and took a cup, grabbed a few sugars and a creamer from the stash, and popped the lid off long enough to add the requisite modification. I sipped appreciatively and settled into a side chair while Arletta was still eagerly adding sugar to the remaining cup. She lifted it and took a tentative sip of the hot drink, eyes closing in happiness and a beatific smile stretching across her cheeks. Oh my, she sighed, that is so good. I smiled and shrugged. Thanks for the tip on Over Easy. We sat there, sipping in silence for a few ticks while I considered my next move. I needed to get into a ship suit and get ready to take the watch. Glancing at the chrono, I realized I had about a stand before I needed to get back in the office. I also needed to get a handle on the training dates and the ship's system status. We'd be getting underway in a day or so. I needed to get a firm handle on the ship's systems before that happened. Green third mate or not, I knew my way around systems. How long since my predecessor left, I asked. Arletta looked up strangely. What? Oh, sorry. I'm having this conversation in my head and I forgot you're not listening in. Ah, and do you do this often? She asked with an amused look on her face. Probably too often. But I was just thinking that the last update was before my predecessor left the ship, unless you or Mr. Burnside have done one lately. I just wondered how long ago I finished. She left when we docked on the 4th, Arletta said. I blinked. She. Arletta looked at me with one arched eyebrow. You have a problem with women in systems? Or as third mates? I shook my head. Not at all. But two things hit me at the same time. One, except for the captain and the first mate, all of the officers were women. Arletta's mouth twitched. I couldn't tell if she was suppressing a smile or a curse. Yes, curious that, she said blandly. Second? I was having lunch at the Miller Moth, and news of her leaving was already common knowledge. When was that? she asked, a strange look on her face. Day before yesterday, the 5th, I think, I told her. My, my, news does travel fast, she said, 
her brows meeting in a frown. What was the context? I was having lunch and talking about getting the berth. The bartender made some comment about the ship going through a lot of turnover. Something about two-third mates and less than a stanier. Arletta's eyebrows twitched in surprise. Interesting. We're the talk of the dock now, huh? Well, DST is a local company, and this is the hub. It would make some sense that the people around the docks would pay attention more to DST vessels than some of the larger, more transient players, I said. She nodded thoughtfully. Did she say anything else? she asked. I shrugged. Not really. Can I ask? I started. Why'd she leave? Arletta finished. Yeah, I said. It was personal, she replied. It was my turn to raise eyebrows and question. Personal? She repeated, not my story to tell. Anything I should be aware of? Just shipmate to shipmate, I pressed. She glanced at the open door and said very softly, You've already noted the distribution of males in the chain of command. She closed her mouth very carefully and looked me straight in the face. That's all I'm saying. My appointment must have come as something of a surprise to Mr. Burnside then, I commented lightly. Oh, indeed it was, she said. Glancing at the door myself to let her know I'd gotten the message, I asked softly, Should I be concerned? At that moment, Ula Nart burst into the office, and whatever our letter was going to say got sidetracked. Begging the OD's pardon, sir, but Spec 1 Otsuka requests your presence in engineering to co-sign for refueling. Thank you, Ula, our letter replied and stood, grabbing her tablet from the table and heading for the door while Ula glanced shyly in my direction. Our letter stopped at the door and looked back at me. Yes, she said clearly, and left, heading aft toward the spine and engineering. Thanks for listening to Double Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. The music is a medley of jigs, eavesdroppers, both meat and drink, and Off We Go by Great Big Sea from their self-titled debut album. Find this and other songs by Great Big Sea at music.podshow.com. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 license. For a website and more information on the Golden Age, visit www.solarclipper.com. <laughs>